Welcome to the B2B Growth Marketer Podcast with Alex Mead. I've invited sales, marketing, and business leaders to discuss their successes, failures, and everything else in between. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. This week, we have Brett Ryan from LabStats. He's the marketing director um, and has an interesting book coming out that we want to talk about. So, uh, Brett, welcome to, welcome around the campfire here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. And so, you know, I think one, you know, I've been kind of following you on LinkedIn. We've been kind of having some small interactions here and there for um, maybe a few months, year. I actually don't uh, know the first time when we connected, but um, really have just kind of always been amazed of the content you publish. And then at the same time, you're writing a book and I have a hard time writing a blog, uh, you know, when I know I need to. So writing a book, I feel is is quite the accomplishment, especially, you know, how you've gone about it. But, you know, first, you know, why don't you give an introduction, you know, to yourself and, and to LabStats? Sure. So um, I joined LabStats in July of 2018. I just graduated business school um, and my wife and I had returned to Idaho, which is where LabStats is located. And I sat down with the CEO at the time and was really impressed with the vision he had for the company. And so we joined up and here we are. And when I joined the company, there wasn't really a marketing strategy in place. Um, The company has existed for quite some time, but I would argue that it's been more of a lifestyle business and less of a uh, mature business or, or, you know, a company that's trying to be world-class. And we've changed a lot of that. I, I do believe that you know, we are a world-class company now. What LabStats is, is it's a product that allows um, IT managers at higher institutions of higher education, colleges, universities, to understand how students and faculty are using technology resources at their campus. It's a little, it's a client you install on all your machines. And then when a student or faculty member logs onto that machine, it aggregates all that usage data of what software and hardware they're using. It aggregates it up uh, into some reports that our product can generate that helps our customers make better business decisions. A lot of it involves right-sizing their spending and their IT budget against what students and faculty are actually using. That's LabStats in a nutshell. Um, right. Recently, we've are development team, they built a remote access tool, which basically uses that same client to allow students to access campus resources remotely from home. And as you can imagine, that's been like huge of COVID. Um, There's a lot of businesses that are suffering and, and struggling during COVID. And I would argue that that brilliant product insight that led our team to build that tool has really, we've thrived um, during 2020, and I owe it a lot to that. And is, as a marketing... Is that, uh, something, is that something you guys developed because of COVID, or is that something that was already in the works, and you just happened to be right place, right time? So that was 100% response to COVID. Uh, it's actually really fascinating. Um, our product and development manager, a gentleman named Trevor Pazel, he basically saw what was happening, and he has a obviously a very deep understanding of how our product works, not only what it does, but how it does it. And he went home, and literally over a weekend, he built the first version of that tool. 
And our entire team has been iterating on that ever since. And as a marketing department, when he went home and did this, we made a strategic decision. We saw the writing on the wall. Um, because if you think about what our product offers, well, it's going to show you what students and faculty are using. And if no students and faculty are on campus, our core product, suddenly it really doesn't have a value offering at all, right? And so we decided to all in and kind of pivot our, we had our plans for the first couple quarters of the year of what we were going to do. And we decided to pivot and just all in on supporting this remote access tool. Um, and it's, we've done really well as a result. Yeah, that's, uh, that's like uh, the, one of the success stories in kind of a bleak time of success stories is how you guys have been able to pivot your product to not only keep your business, you know, successful and relevant, but then it's also providing like such a service because kids, students at home, I mean, I know when I was in college, I did a lot of video production and there's three computers that had Final Cut and yep. those were the only computers on campus that had it. And there's no yep. way if I had to go home, I could have done any of that. Um, yep. or, or, you know, back when I was in college, Adobe and Photoshop were files, you know, programs that you had to install on each machine and there's no way I would have been able to get those. And so you guys yep. have not only pivoted yourselves, but also made it, made schools and, and like these, these computer labs make it easier to still support students, especially most of them are going online for the fall. Yep. Yeah. And it's been, we've been very fortunate. Uh, um, and it's been wonderful for us. And, and the response to that has been tremendous. Um, you know, we, uh, I think we've got about 40% of our current customer base using that new product. And so that's pretty impressive. We've had other product launches in LabStats history. And to have 40% within just a few months, we'll just say that not every product launch has been that successful. So, um, yeah, it's been great. Yeah. And to be honest, I'm sure that number is going to go up as schools are probably waiting to make this decision uh, as long as they can. But I Definitely. think uh, with, with how this summer has gone, I think the decision is – probably easily being made that most people are going to be staying home. Yes. And we've really seen it in two waves, right? Um, I think we got a lot of early adopters because the crisis hit and everyone was in panic mode and there was kind of this mass exodus from campus, yeah. like right in the middle of their spring semester. Um, and so we had a lot of folks hop on to basically offer access immediately. And now we're seeing a second wave of folks who are, you know, we will hear from in, institutions that they're basically putting together their battle plan for the fall, mm -hmm. which looks different for every campus. Some right. campuses, there's like a handful of campuses that are coming back to campus entirely right. and they've got to think through how do we socially distance and then there's a big group of, of, of schools that are doing kind of like a hybrid approach where they're allowing a limited number of students back or they have a rotating class or, or campus day, you know, campus yeah. day schedules. And then there's a number of campuses who are just doing it all online. Yeah. And so as these schools put together their battle plans, they're reapproaching us and thinking like, okay, how do we utilize this remote distance learning as part of that plan? Yeah. Um, so how, how, is, yeah. how have you, um, and if you have, how have you how have you adjusted uh, your marketing strategy 
with the, with, you know, over that weekend, your product and everything changed. Uh, yep. I feel like that's going to be a weekend. We all remember, uh, yes. you know, it's the weekend of my son's birthday. And so like, I'm never going to forget that weekend that all of a sudden schools are canceled. My wife's at home. I'm leaving the office and, yep. and like not knowing what's going to happen. How, how did you guys shift your marketing strategy or approach? Yeah. Well, um, there were a first, first couple of things that were immediately obvious. Uh, and it's interesting when, let me, let me back up a little bit. I think when you look at SaaS marketing in general, there's this traditional kind of spectrum that a SaaS product exists on. And at one end of that spectrum, you have a very powerful, complex product that can do a lot of things. And at the other end of that spectrum, you have a really streamlined product that's good at doing maybe one or two things. And LabStats is definitely on the powerful, complex side yeah. where it can do a lot of things. And so as a marketing department, one of our greatest challenges historically has been, what are those one or two things that customers are most interested in doing? And we do a lot, a lot of testing because we'll basically slice off a tiny portion of the product that does one thing and we test, right? And we yeah. kind of are assembling our working knowledge of what are the portions of the product that are best to lead with. And historically, that has been cost savings, right? And we're getting a certain portion of the market who are attracted to kind of this right-sizing pitch that I gave you earlier. Yeah. But we're also missing tons of the market that might be interested in creating a better student experience or um, you know, providing accessible campus resources to students who need wheelchair-accessible hardware or, yeah. or who might have some kind of accessibility um, need. And so we're kind of, before the crisis, we were kind of testing in all these different directions. Um, and after the crisis, you know, this once in 100 years, you have all of our customers who are suddenly hyper-focused on one thing. How do we offer technology to students if they can't come to campus? And so, it made our job as a marketing department much easier um, <laughs> because we could focus on the hyper relevant thing rather than kind of in a non-crisis mode, we've got to kind of try and poke and feel and kind of yeah. guess what is the top concern for this unit. You know, we do our customer segmentation and some are concerned with student outcomes. Some are really budget conscious. Some are this, some are that, you know, and this yeah. stars align and, you know, we could really focus on, Hey, we have something that can help you navigate this pandemic. And um, yeah. so I would say that was the adjustment that we made. But to go back to kind of the way you framed the original question, it was very much kind of a panic. Um, and I've got to be honest with you. Initially, uh, I wasn't on board with pivoting because we were make, starting to make great progress with some of the initiatives that we're, um, uh, some of the different marketing campaigns we were running and some of the different messaging we were testing. And we had a meeting where we sat down with our product team, our dev team, our sales team, our account management team, mm -hmm. and our marketing team. And we basically had the big talk of what are we going to do? And we came out of that meeting and we had all decided to align with supporting our new remote access tool and this new messaging in this new direction. And from then we, we literally took 
months of work that we'd been doing and planning and, and literally it, I don't want to say we threw it away. We set it aside. Um, and it's like, surprise, we're not yeah. going to do any of that. Right. So it yeah. was, it was an interesting experience, but, um, you know, I, I wish I could say that I was the, uh, visionary hero that saw it all coming, but I was definitely someone who had to be pulled on board with what we were. Yeah. Doing. Well, there's, there's always two sides of that argument. You know, there's, it always sounds good. I mean, in hindsight, it was a good move. Um, yep. But without that critical thinking of, well, what about if, what about this? Like we're still making progress. And obviously, you know, when you probably had that meeting, I don't think you guys imagined that, uh, what is it, July, you know, middle of July here, we're still dealing with it and it's getting yep. worse. So I don't think any of us imagined that. Um, but I want to no. go back to something you talked about is your, you were testing messaging and like test, testing what those, those pain points or challenges your customers were facing. And they had a few and you settled on, um, on, on cost savings. And, and then like overnight it was access to yeah. remote. And I think that kind of, you know, reminds me and brings up understanding your, your customer understanding your buyer personas and knowing what their needs are that changes all the time without Absolutely. a pandemic, uh, yep. you know, without all this and just kind of like more solidifies the fact that you really need to take that customer pulse either through your sales team, your customer service team, you know, marketers should be talking to customers, um, you know, you know, every few months to see what has changed because, you know, software bundles change, how things are being tracked. Um, but even then, knowing that cost was the big driver, which I'm sure cost still is because universities are struggling, but it was cost, but we also need everyone to get it now. So then your messaging is, we have a product, you can, your students can get on now and it's going to save you money. I don't know. You know, maybe that's, uh, you know, in the marketing Venn diagram, you know, you want it cheaper, uh, fast, and you want it, uh, you want it great. Well, and you can only pick two. Yep. Um, but maybe we're wishful thinking on uh, some of those. But I, I think that just proves that point of needing to always have communication with your customers because things change so quickly. And I bet even by uh, you know in a month, what they are asking, what their challenges are, are going to be different. Because like you said, they're building battle plans for probably three scenarios. My wife works in school districts and there's essentially like four scenarios going right now. We all go back part-time three days a week for students or something. We all stay at home, you know, and not knowing what these are, I'm sure their needs and challenges will change. Yeah. It's uh it's interesting. Um, and I think that you, you hit it there. It's talking to customers more, right? And if you think about it, message testing, doing message tests, marketing tests, um, and talking to customers, you're really attacking the same problem from two different sides, yeah. right? Which is what do customers actually care about? Yeah. And on the testing side, you see that bear out in performance data, what campaigns and messages actually perform well and convert to walkthroughs and, or, or product demonstrations and eventually revenue. And on the other side, you have customers who just tell you what they care about. And it's interesting because I, you really do need both. Uh, talking to customers is critical. Everyone should be doing it more. We should be doing it more than we are. We have a, 
uh, a guy on my team who recently, that's all he's been doing is customer research and we still should be doing it more yeah. um, than we are. It's the ceiling on the return that you can get from talking to customers, as you know, is incredibly high. We can always do more. However, we have to take what that, you know, what actually interviewing, talking with customers, we have to understand what that data point is in our overall understanding mm -hmm. of the customer because it is just a data point and people are not the perfect arbiters of information. And when you think about building a product, I, when I think of what we do at LabStats, I think we are building tools for the future leaders of higher education IT. And it's one of those things where, you know, the old Henry Ford quote, if I would have asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so we do have to take it with a grain of salt sometimes where you go and you talk to, you know, a good portion of your customers and they'll tell you they want this one thing. And what we're really, what we should be listening to, we're, we're doing two things, right? From a marketing standpoint, we're paying close attention to we're trying to discern what are the messages that we could lead with that will generate more interest in our product and get people to actually talk to our customer facing teams. Yeah. But on the product side, they have a different, different challenge where really they should be listening to what are the problems that are being described and can we build, let's, you know, can we not give them a faster horse? Can we give them, you know, our version of the automobile? And it's a different yeah. dance. And so, um, yeah, it, it, it's critical, but you kind of have to understand it for what it is, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, that, that's a good point. I mean, we put a lot of emphasis in talking to our customers, but it's what you take from it. You know, if you, like you said, if, you, if Henry Ford asked everybody to be a faster horses, I love that quote, um, but it, it's, you know, for us, when we talk to customers and when we do it on our clients' behalf, it is trying to understand their biggest challenges, how they solve challenges, what are their challenges now versus what are they trying to actually solve? Because um, yep. sometimes those are, those are different things. Um, but you're right. When you have multiple teams, what, you need, what information you need from the customer is, is very different. Um, yeah. And I liked your, I liked your idea that it's, it's, it is just a data point. I mean, we put a big emphasis on that, but it is only a piece of the, of the puzzle. Uh, Definitely. You know. and, it's, I, and once again, it's an important piece, yeah. right? But I think, uh, you know, we, especially you and I, were a part of the same community on LinkedIn and other, we're both kind of in this B2B marketing space. And, uh, you know, there's a couple voices in our community who beat that drum really, really hard, as they should, because I think most companies are not talking to customers enough. But once you start doing that a lot and doing it more and more, then I think you got to kind of back up and say, okay, is this, is what a customer tells me, is that the Bible or is there more to it? Is right. it, is it the truth with a capital T yeah. or is there, is there more to this that we can think yeah. around? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, hey, I want to, you know, we've been, this has been a great conversation, but I want to talk about your, your book a little bit. Sure. And I know a few months ago you posted and you're kind of, you know, close to your first draft and, um, and it's kind of going through that process. I'm really curious, why, why did you decide to write a book on, on brand partnerships? Yeah, great question. So uh, the reason I decided to write a book about brand partnerships is because 
early in my marketing career, I was working out in Seattle for a, a video game publishing company. And we had some opportunities to pursue brand partnerships with bigger companies and bigger celebrities. And I was involved with um, doing some work on some brand partnerships that just turned out to be absolute disasters. <laughs> um, and, you know, um, I might, maybe I'll share one with you, but what really what I learned, I came away from that and I'm like, well, let me describe this to you. I, I'll go ahead and share it with you. So <laughs> I was working in, uh, for a pub, software publishing company, Video Game Vertical, and we were working on a, a product that was going to release in December of 2015. And part of this product was the, like this new character in this video game. And if I could describe the character, she was basically like a steampunk MMA fighter, right? Where she has these big battle gauntlets and she punches people and she's really kind of gruff and cocky. And so, uh, my boss came to me, he's like, Hey, you know, it'd be cool. It'd be cool if we could get partner with Rhonda Rousey on this and have her kind of be kind of like this representation yeah. of this character. And we started exploring this brand partnership. I thought it was an awesome idea. Um, and we, we started investing work in reaching out to her management team, exploring these conversations with her team, thinking, exploring what would it take to have, partner with Ronda Rousey to kind of tee up this cool product yeah. for our, our players. And um, I remember we were going through these negotiations and, uh, uh, you know, I, th I think we're a couple months into it when her management team came back to us and basically said, hey, you know, you guys aren't the only video game publishers <laughs> we've been in conversations with. And what happened was is she had signed a contract with another company to represent their product, to, to have their, um, them use their likeness with a different product, and it had an exclusivity clause. And so they basically came back and said, hey, you either beat their offer or we're done here. And their offer was more than our entire marketing budget for <laughs> the product launch. And so instantly, like months of work, just evaporated. Just and I remember sitting there just being really frustrated and thinking like, okay, this can't be black magic. There has to be some principles, some rules, some best practices for navigating brand partnerships that will make this approachable. And I scoured the internet for information, for resources, and I found surprisingly little. There was almost nothing. And so really I was inspired to write the book because I'm like, I don't want, you know, I don't, the way that people learn how to do brand partnership work today is you basically go to a firm that has a lot of institutional knowledge of brand partnerships. You go to a Doritos or a, um, you know, an Activision or a, uh, uh, you know, a, um, a, uh, I'm drawing a blank here. You yeah. go to a, a CPG company like a Kraft or a, or a Heinz who engage in kind of these product, a Pringles, you know, mm -hmm. you go to one of those brands and they know how to do brand partnerships because they do them really regularly. And you basically learn the way that that company does brand partnerships. That's the way you pursue it. If you, for everyone else, for you, for me, if you're not part of that tiny subset of companies that are really good at doing that, there's not really a great way for you to learn like 
the nuances, basically yeah. the working nuances of successfully pulling off brand partnerships. And so that's what inspired me to write the book. I'm like, all right, there's no other way for me to learn about this. I'm going to teach myself and I'm going to put it into a book. So the next time someone has the question, how do I do brand partnerships better? They have a resource. That's great. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the principles of like inbound marketing right there, you know, provide value where there isn't, you know, people aren't providing as much value and, and like, and, and be one of the first to it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I feel your pain on the video game stuff. I once edited a video. I used to be a video editor and it was a, uh, it was an app for Demi Lovato. Yeah. Um, that was like, it was like the, the years that Kim Kardashian had an app, like everybody had an yeah. app and we're yep. just making boatloads of money. And it was this, uh, you know, I'm not, this is nothing against Demi, but it was the stupidest app I think I've ever seen. But I think she made a lot of money off of it. Yep. Um, yeah, no, that's interesting. So yeah, you, you understand. And there's a, I would, you know, and you could probably attest to this that, yeah celebrities are kind of their own kind of brand. And when you choose to work with those brands, there's some things that you would ideally like yeah. to know up front. You know, how easy is this person to work with um, is a big one, right? Uh, what is the, the end product that yeah. we're working towards? You know, what kind of work am I actually trying to do? And so, um, you know, to, to, to touch back to the book, uh, you know, that's part of the content is how do you at a cursory glance kind of make an evaluation of a potential partner brand and how do you ideally make the best decisions? Because there's a lot of small companies that they just want to partner with a big company. They yeah. just want to partner with a big brand and that's not always the right choice. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. You don't want to, you don't want a subway Jared Fogle on your hands. Yep. Uh, absolutely. And you know, those are, those are some of the risks I think you play with that. I mean, I, so I, I worked in an ad agency that represented um, Pepsi, Gatorade, like Visa, you know, some big names. And I remember for, um, you know, for, for Pepsi, you know, they always had big names like Britney Spears did a Super Bowl commercial, you mm -hmm. know, and I always assumed it was, they were good at brand relationships because they were big brands and they had a lot of money yep. and you know, celebrities probably are less, you know, and I think now because of influencers, you can have like very degrees of celebrity um, that you can. So I think your book's going to become more relevant because how do you, how do you negotiate with someone who has, you know, a million followers or someone who has a hundred thousand followers of how you negotiate those terms and, um, and building that. So I think that's, I think this is a great book. Like people don't, people don't talk about this much, at least not maybe in like the B2B circles that we're in. It's not as, is talked about, but you know, we used to work with a lot of, um, kind of retail online retail brands. One was like a baseball product and they're always like, Oh yeah. How do we get this baseball player using? Oh, it'd be great if we get Mike Trout using. I was like, of course it would be, yep. but you know, those guys only, only back things that they have money if they're yep. paying them or if yep. they like 100% actually truly believe in this product and they're actually just using it. Yep. Um, and it's like, there's, there's like, you pay someone to be, uh, you know, someone that's using your product or be a spokesman or you just have such a great product that they love so much that they do it because they actually believe in it. 
Um, yeah, and that opens up some options for you yeah. too as well, because it's like, you know, if you think about it, if you're in a situation where you've got to give someone money to partner with you, then, you know, that's, I'd argue that's more of like a advertising relationship, right? Rather yeah. than a true partnership. And if you have someone who really believes in your product and, you know, uh, they want to go to bat for you and truly partner with you. That's a little bit different. It opens up some options, not only for yeah. how you might compensate that person or the benefit they'd get out of it, um, but also opens up a lot of options of what the end product could be. Because yeah. one end product is them getting on an advertisement and saying, hey, use Acmeco, whatever, widgets, right? And that's totally different than something that you might be able to do um, if they're really invested in the yeah. product, you know, maybe yeah. you have a, you know, you see it a lot in the sneaker space where, mm -hmm. Hey, this is the, this is the Kanye, what, this is the Yeezy shoe or whatever. Right. Maybe you have like, you know, your celebrity widget or whatever. It really opens the door when the actual product of that partnership could be much more than just someone, you know, appearing in an internet yeah. app for you. Yeah. Right. Uh, speaking of shoes, did you know Gary V has his own shoe line? What? With, um, no, I didn't. <laughs> yeah, it's with like, I think it's with, uh, I gotta look this up because, um, somebody told me about it and I was like, no, no, it's K-Swiss. Yeah. Really? His own line of K-Swiss has the Gary V lines. That's crazy. And you know what? I can kind of see it because Gary V, he has this. He's like kind He's of personality, this, you know, Yeah, he, and his brand is very much about like this. Um, I would argue it's kind of this millennial, like kind of like hustle culture, kind of entrepreneurial. And I see yeah. a lot of people kind of aligning with with kind of his brand and I can see it working. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's pretty uh, it's pretty crazy. Um, yeah. To be honest, but. Um, but Hey, Brett, this has been a great conversation. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, you know, I, I've been following along, especially your book coming out. Uh, so, so when can people can expect, expect to read this? Well, great question. So I know that we're, we're running out of time here, but, um, we're right now, one of my favorite sayings in the world is that great books aren't written, they're rewritten. And we're in the process of rewriting right now, heavy edits, heavy revisions with a team of editors. And this process is taking longer than I anticipated. If you, if you, you know, I'm not a full-time author. This no. gives my nights and weekends when I'm not spending time with my family. Um, and so this whole process is taking longer. Originally we were shooting for a 2020 publishing date. Every day that goes by, it's looking like you could probably expect it in spring of 21. Um, the book is called brand together. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's about these brand partnerships, but I, I do think that the, the timeline is probably gonna, probably gonna land us in spring of 21. Yeah. You know, uh, take the time to make it right. You know, don't rush it. Uh, you know, so, there's some things you, it's better to get done than perfect. But I think when, when you're providing such value and education and, and, and making it right so people can easily understand, I think taking time is, I think people appreciate it and will yeah. want it to be good rather than just done. Yeah, I agree. Well, I appreciate you having me very much, Alex. I, I'm a big fan of, I see you on LinkedIn as well. Uh, I love the things you post and uh, I think you are, um, you know, Beacon's Point, you guys are trying to do some awesome work. It, it, 
uh, I'm always, the good agencies stick out and I think you guys are doing a lot of things right. You definitely have the LinkedIn thing figured out. Um, Appreciate that. And so, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy to participate in something like this. It's, it's an honor. So thank you. Thanks for listening to the B2B Growth Marketer Podcast, hosted by me, Alex Mead. The B2B Growth Marketer Podcast is sponsored by Beacons Point. Beacons Point is a growth marketing agency that creates a video-first content approach to attract the right customer and deliver the message at the right time. Find out more at beaconspoint.com. This week's episode is produced by Summer Myers. Thanks for listening. See you next time.